Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. Good to have you aboard. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. As we are with you for the next 60 minutes, a lot to break down. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. As we get you said for the Giants and the Redskins coming up on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. As always, Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. So, Pat Shermer, James Betcher, Mike Shula all addressed the media earlier today. We'll recap what they had to say. And we'll also get into some locker room reaction. But right off the top, the injury report came out because the Giants practiced earlier today. So not practicing again for the second straight day. Saquon Barkley, Tay Davis, Alec Ogletree, Olsen Pierre, and Russell Shepard. So none of those player statuses have changed going back a day ago. Limited was Benny Fowler and a full practice for Lorenzo Carter and Cody Latimer. So both of those players heading in the right direction. And when Pat Shermer addressed the media earlier today, he did mention, Paul, that Saquon Barkley will not be going on injured reserve. So that Repeat is that. positive news. Will not. not. Yes. Was I unclear the first no, time? No, 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 no. I want to emphasize that. Will not. Won't is also acceptable. It is. Okay. Any other terminology? That we can well, the point is, help for, you with? For, those of, uh, for those of you who haven't digested that yet, if you put a guy on injured reserve, he can't practice for six weeks. Then you get the two-week grace period. So he can't return for eight. And then it's eight weeks before he actually gets on the field. Now, Coach Shermer said there'll be no procedure or surgery involved, strictly aggressive rehab. And the fact that they're not considering him for the IR list probably means that they are optimistic he will be back before the IR time frame. Yeah, before eight weeks, I think it's fair to say that they're optimistic because why would you put him on IR if you think he could return in six weeks, Dave? seven weeks, five weeks, but, or whatever it may be? I just want to let Dave know, one of our producers, we have a tweet says, not working on the phone app. So I'm just letting you know. Okay, there you go. We, we have all kinds of Is issues Is there anything else that we can well, address you know what I'm doing? in the early stages oh, there we are. of the show? I'm breaking down the wall. The third wall. I'm breaking it down. Yeah, you're giving individuals an opportunity to see exactly what goes on behind the camera, which we're and very thankful for. I have no problem for. with that. Yes. So, is your headphones working? Your microphone? Yes, they're working. Okay? Every well, can, my microphone doesn't even need too? to be working. A snack, food. I got sure? my lemonade. Okay. I'm good. I just want to make sure that you're taken care of before we move forward with the program. You can go, Dave. One of our producers. Dave Dominic, our too. producer, everybody. Yes. One of our producers. Yes. There we go. You know, good our, man. Love is spread across the board here. Look, I'm just today. trying to lighten the mood and have a good time. Oh, I am all for There's lightening the mood. There's been too much stress around here the 100%. last three weeks. That's why I want to prioritize your needs. And until your needs are met, there's no point of discussing anything Giants-related. Unless you're a doctor, you can't help me. Well, yes. There's only so many things that I can appease you with, but I will try to I'm go every which direction. I'm having fun today, folks. Yes, I'm sorry. Absolutely. I just, I just think we should lighten the mood just a little bit. I agree with you. Okay. I have no issue with that. That's why we want to make sure that you're all set because we want your 100% focus to be on the listeners, the viewers, and the phone By the calls. way, the Eagles are playing tonight. They are playing. Correct. Green Bay Packers, Thursday night football. And a loss by Philadelphia would put the Giants all alone in second place. It would indeed. Just thought I'd let you know. Entering Sunday's game against the Redskins, another NFC East rival. Yes. And the Cowboys are going to be playing the New Orleans Saints. So I think we're throwing out, you never know what we're going to bring to the forefront here on this program. That's but why they play the games. That's why they do, indeed. <laughs> so we went over the injury report, and yes. it's crystal clear Saquon Barkley's not going on IR. The other thing that Pat Shermer did mention, though, Paul, is they are planning to make a roster move by yes. the end of the week, but it doesn't involve putting Barkley on IR. In all likelihood, it's probably going to be a running back being called up from the practice squad, and all signs seem to be that John Hilleman is probably going to be the first guy up, which is no surprise because he has familiarity with the scheme and he was with the team all throughout preseason and training camp. Had a solid summer, I yeah. might add. You know, he was a, a practice squad back, but only because the Giants felt that they were deep at running back. Because I, I really think that... You know, if he were in some other camps, he might have snuck on to a 53. Uh, he played pretty well. Absolutely. Uh, Boston College first, then went to Rutgers, and then, of course, undrafted as a rookie free agent and uh, signed with the Giants. So, yeah, uh, because there are no other backs in here right now, and it's already Thursday, you would have to assume he's the guy who's going to be activated and what the corresponding move will be. Nobody really knows, although I just saw Russell Shepard, who has a, a foot injury with a boot on, in the locker room, so that doesn't look like that's going to be short-term. 
Um, so we will see what, what, what his yeah, situation is. Yeah, we'll see. Is. They could play somebody on IR, not Saquon Barkley, of course. They could then cut a player. We've seen a variety of different moves be made over the first few weeks of the season when they have pulled off some transactions. And Nate Stupar obviously brought back in to provide insurance at the linebacker position because Alec Ogletree and Tay Davis have both mispracticed each of the last few days. So I think the chances of... Both of them missing the game are probably on the high side, given the fact that Alec Ogletree couldn't play the second half of the game against the Tampa Mm -hmm. Bay Buccaneers. And with Tay Davis in concussion protocol, remember, every player is different. The steps are different for every player. It involves an independent doctor to make sure that they're following all the procedures. So it really depends on how much progress he makes. But the Giants clearly are going to protect themselves in that department. Nate Stupar. You also have David Mayo, who could see some more action. And then Ryan Connolly, who has filled in for Alec Ogletree in the second half of the season. And, you know, they have not shied away, Paul, from giving him ample playing time because I think he's got a good feel for the scheme. And he's made some plays. He had an interception against Tampa Bay. Granted, it was an overthrown questionable throw by Jameis Winston but you know what you got to be in position to make plays when your number is called and to Ryan Connolly's credit he certainly came through for the Giants the other day well I don't think there's any doubt that that he is a quick riser Connolly has given them some immediate snaps which I don't know if they expected when they first drafted him I think they thought he was going to be a great special teams player who could potentially down the road give them some playing time but because of the injuries all of a sudden boom There he is in the lineup, and he's getting it done. I mean, let's not make any mistake about it. He is doing a very good job. Played a lot of weak side linebacker at Wisconsin. Very heady player, smart player. Said a lot of things about what he did when he was with the Badgers. Fits what the Giants are asking him to do, which makes it easier for him. Should also tell you, just talked to Ogletree before I left the locker room. You didn't get a chance to see him, did you? No, I did not. He said that the um, the hamstring, excuse me, is very similar to the one that he suffered through uh, in the second half of last season. And he kind of labored through it. Um, didn't seem to think it was going to be too long. Said he's feeling pretty good. Don't get the impression he's going to play this week. Yeah, But but I don't think he's going to be sidelined very long, at least by his optimism. Uh, I think the other the other thing to keep in mind here with the, uh, with the running backs, even though it looks obvious that Hilleman would be the next man up, Coach Shermer has, on a couple of occasions this week, indicated the short-term solution for that spot may not be the same as the long-term solution. So there's a possibility, you know, Hilleman may get the call Sunday, but on Monday, perhaps, they could bring a veteran in. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because Coach has said, pretty much, as you know, giving us a red flag that, hey, just the way we go now isn't necessarily the way we're going to go. But you would think the first step would be to bring up somebody that knows your scheme. Because For remember, this game. Yeah, if you bring in a veteran, there's going to be that adjustment period. And no doubt. Let's look at what the Giants have done over the last few weeks. When a player has been hurt, they actually have relied on mostly familiar names, Paul. If you look at either between the practice squad or even the players they brought back, T.J. Jones, he was with the team in camp. Nate Stupar, he was with the team in camp. So, you know, they've been relying on players that they feel can step right back in. Granted, they've implemented new plays, but they know the core of the scheme. So whenever you're talking about a short period of time, it's very unlikely that you would bring in somebody who's unfamiliar. Skipper, for example, who was claimed by the, off the Steelers yes. when he was waived, notice, you know, he's played very few percentage of the snaps. And I think there's a reason behind that, Paul. It's because he has yet to become fully acclimated with the defensive scheme. Let me add something to that. Sure. Olsen Pierre, sore knee, has not practiced this week. He has been coming in a lot as the defensive end pass rusher in substitute packages. It would not shock me if Skipper winds up taking those snaps this week. Well, and that would be also a sign of his progress because Correct. in the Bucks game, I looked at the snap count. He played about 7% of the plays. It was very, very small. Yeah, and remember, when they made six waiver claims at the beginning of the 2018 season, right after they finalized the 53-man roster, and we've talked about this multiple times, Paul, the six guys that they claimed, they weren't thrown right into the fire and immediately played. If you recall, when John Jalapio got hurt, And I remind people about this very often. John Greco took over at center before Spencer Pulley came in. Now, part of that was because Pulley was a late arrival. Pulley was not here with the team in camp. He was a member of the Chargers. 
So that just goes to show you sometimes players need three, four weeks to feel good about what they're getting into, and then the coaching staff says, all right, you know, now we can at least insert you into the lineup. And I think Skipper is in somewhat familiar territory. However, now he's been here for a few weeks, to your point, Paul. Mm-hmm. So if Pierre's not ready to go, it would call for him to step in and perhaps right. take advantage of playing time. Especially since he is a pass rusher. Absolutely. Well, he'll fit a need. He'll fill a void. No doubt. Yeah. Now, the other two guys I just want to mention, you said Latimer did practice today in full. Uh, no yellow jersey. He had one yesterday, but not today. So that tells you... He's trending in the it, right direction. Yeah, it certainly looks like he's going to be a go against the Redskins. The other thing was Coach Schirmer also hinted that even though Stupar was signed because he knows the system and they're down two linebackers, he hinted that Mayo yeah. would actually get the snaps and that Stupar would be special teams and in reserve as a backup it does look like uh, Mayo will will see some time in the defense. Well, and Mayo is another example, continuing the theme we're talking about, right? Mayo was claimed just as they were finalized the 53-man roster, right, Paul? Wasn't here with Mm -hmm. camp. So now what? We're entering week four. He's been here for a few weeks. He's got a better feel for the system. No surprise. Now they're turning to him. I think based on what we said between 2018, the late arrivals, and now this year, they're pretty much following a very similar script that they slowly assimilate these guys into the system. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants chat. Before we open up the lines, Paul, I want to get a little bit into the Washington Redskins. We're later in the week now. And some interesting things that Jay Grunin had mentioned yesterday in his press conference. Number one... There's a little bit of mystery surrounding who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Redskins this week. Case Keenum was a late addition to the injury report following the Monday night game because of the fact that he suffered some type of a foot injury. Now, yesterday the Redskins had a walkthrough, so their injury report reflected on if they went through a full practice, who would have taken part in a full practice, who would have been sidelined, and so forth. So they assume that Case Keenum would be sidelined with the foot injury, and Colt McCoy, Jay Gruden, indicated would probably be a full participant in practice perhaps today as he's starting to trend in the right direction because if you recall, McCoy got hurt late last season, broken fibula, and you know was working his way through it all throughout camp, has been sidelined in the early stage of the season, and he hasn't thrown a football in quite some time, but they're getting him ready, and then, of course, there's Dwayne Haskins, the first-round pick. But it's quite interesting about who Washington may decide to throw out there if Case Keenum's foot injury lingers, and he's not ready to go here, Paul. Interesting only because in today's times of the NFL, guys always rush their first-round draft pick quarterbacks into the lineup when they can. Honestly, no surprise. Dwayne Haskins is far from ready. One year starting at Ohio State, we've talked about it a thousand times. You know, he was clearly not nearly pro-ready. A guy who had uh, NFL-caliber offensive line, all kinds of pass protection, had an incubator situation with the Buckeyes, had receivers that were running circles around defensive backs so he could throw the ball into the ocean and it would still be complete. You know, I mean, is it any wonder... Honestly, for everybody who was on the Dwayne Haskins bandwagon, is it any wonder that right now he's the number three in Washington and not obviously, according to the coach, not ready to be thrown in, even with the team spiraling at 0-3? Is this seriously any surprise to anybody who understands the game? Well, I think there's a distinct difference between Daniel Jones, for example, and Dwayne Haskins, to your point, because Jones was a three-year starter. And Haskins was no only a question. one-year starter. Kyler Murray was a one-year starter. We talked about how... In a pro system with Cutcliffe, correct. A, a pro quarterback yeah. guru. Yeah. You know, anyway. So, hey, but, it is what it is. Well, once again, if you were to ask me my opinion as it stands right now, I actually think if Case Keenum can't play and Jay Gruden has to make the decision of who's going to start, if Colt McCoy is ready to go in their mind, meaning they evaluate him over the next few days, he can throw the football, his leg is feeling fine, I actually think Gruden goes to Colt McCoy before he goes to Dwayne Haskins. So, so I, do I. I think Colt he's McCoy pretty much indicated start. that. Well, but, but it's not to me so much about Dwayne Haskins and where he is. It's the fact that Colt McCoy was with Jay Gruden since Gruden came in as Redskins head coach in 2014. That's why he's still there. If anybody has a good feel for that system and what Mm -hmm. Gruden wants to do, it's Colt McCoy actually much more so than Case Keenum, Paul. 
because they've been together for so long. Mm-hmm. So that's me, the real emphasis on why I think they would go with Colt McCoy, much more so than is Dwayne Haskins ready or not. Because Haskins was the backup quarterback to Keenum on Monday night. If Keenum's foot injury, whenever he suffered it, they were going to have to put Haskins in. Well, so on Monday they would have, yes. Yeah, on Monday night's game. So, you know, I, I, th- I think if you have him as the backup quarterback, you understand that he knows the system. He's got a good feel for it at this point. I listened to what Jay Gruden said. He said, when it comes to the chalkboard, he's fantastic. He, you ask him to orchestrate a play, there's no issues whatsoever. But then when it comes to reps, that's where he's limited. Because to your point, he hasn't had nearly as much experience as some of the other quarterbacks, including the guys that came out in this year's draft who have been multi-year starters. I'll make it easy for you. It won't be Sonny Jurgensen or Billy Kilmer. No, I don't think we would go in that department. No disagreement there. Yes. So that, to me, is the biggest storyline surrounding the Washington Redskins, and that's pretty much the most notable injury. A little bit banged up on the offensive line. Brandon Sheriff and Chase Roulier, uh, guard and center, but... Gruden seemed to be optimistic that both of those guys will all likely be ready to go on Sunday because Sheriff played through the injury on Monday night. Eric Flowers briefly came out, I think, late in the game, but he seems to be okay, and he didn't show up on the injury report either. That leads to one more comment before we get to the calls. Is it any wonder why the Redskins, I know the defense is playing very poorly right now, but is it any wonder why they're struggling the offensive line is having a very difficult time right now. Trent Williams still holding out, having a lot of philosophical problems with the organization. And, and you know, they've got Moses and they've got uh, Penn playing the Penn. two tackle Left spots, tackle, yeah. which is not a great situation. They've got Eric Flowers starting at guard, and, and he's having a rocky time after, you know, coming over from the Giants. The offensive line is not very good. Hence... The Redskins are in quicksand right now. Well, they went up against arguably one of the best defenses in the NFL, the Bears, on Monday night. That certainly didn't help the cause. I think the defense had a rougher time against the Eagles and the Cowboys. I don't think the defense actually played that bad Monday night, Paul, against Chicago. Keep in mind, one of the touchdowns for Chicago was a pick six. That has no reflection on the defense. And then another one came off an extremely short field because Case Keenum was sacked, Mm -hmm. lost a fumble, and the Bears took over at the 11, and Mitchell Trubisky essentially shuffled the ball to Taylor Gabriel in the left corner of the end zone. If the Redskins are going to hang their hat on anything to beat the Giants on Sunday, it's going to be that their defense isn't as bad as the numbers show. That's fair. It's not going to be that their offense is going to outperform. No, it's going to be that their defense is going to give them a shot to win the game. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It's the defense. I'll take it a step further, though. I think they need to run the ball. That's what they have to do. Because if you go back to last season, Paul, when Adrian Peterson had 95-96 yards, they were in a position to win the bulk of their games. And when he had less than that, it was very tough sledding. So when Washington runs the football, when they win the battle in the trenches on defense— that's the equation to victory. No matter whether it's Cole McCoy, Case Keenum, Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback, they need to have some semblance of a running game. You can run the ball behind that offensive line. Well, Adrian Peterson is a tough back. And, and they're I still averaging think... less than three yards a carry. You're right. And his longest run of the year so far is 10 yards. But also... They're not giving him any holes. Well, because of also how game flow has played out, Peterson has also been phased out in a lot That's of That's also games, true. Okay? They've been getting so behind. you got to take into consideration the flow of the game and his workload. For example, in that Bears game Monday night, he barely saw the field in the second half mm-hmm. because they went with Chris Thompson. He didn't look too happy either. No, and I don't blame him because Jay Gruden is saying, hey, we're not going to throw the ball even though we're down by a few touchdowns. Downs. We, we got to pound the football, and to the Redskins' credit, they got back into the game, and then what happened? It was a 28-15 game. They're threatening. They're getting closer to the Bears' red zone, and Case Keenum makes a head-scratching decision. I don't know if you saw this, Paul, mm-hmm. where he acts like he's at the goal line because it was a fourth and one. All they needed to do was mm-hmm. even hand it off to Adrian Peterson, which they did the last play, and he was stuffed. So on fourth and one, it's a quarterback keeper. Instead of just pushing the pile forward and staying on the ground, Case Keenum leapfrogs the pile. He holds the ball out, and the Bears knock it out of his hand. Because unless you're at the goal line, you can't just hold the ball out. The ball is live. At the goal line, you cross the goal line, it's a touchdown. They can then knock the ball out of your hand. So it was a very peculiar decision by a veteran quarterback who didn't seem to be aware of where he was on the field. And those decisions can't happen. And what was also surprising was the Redskins had no turnovers in the first two games, and it skyrocketed to five 
Certainly, the Bears are extremely opportunistic. I think that was one reason why, but it was, to me, a very uncharacteristic game for the Redskins, as bad as their 0-3 start has been. All right, let's open up the phone lines as we move forward here till 2.30 p.m. Eastern, and we start the festivities off with Travis in Queens. Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. Travis, what do you got for us? What's up, fellas? How you guys doing? Doing all right, Travis. What's on your mind? Good. Good. Um, well, I, I want to talk about, well, one, we should give credit to Dave Gettleman at all the work he's been doing since he uh, got here. You know, been a lot of, he's been getting a lot of, uh, you know, no credit at all. But that's not my point. My point is the defense, right? Um, they, they scared me a little bit because I, I was a fan for Dane Jones getting the start. From, from week one, right? But with him at center now and going forward, I was I was seeing the Giants becoming like the Cowboys was. Remember earlier with the Cowboys, they defense, uh, you know, they, they wasn't, like they, they will bend, but they don't break. And to me, like the Giants defense, that's what I could see them being, you know, bend but don't break, but they breaking. And I think they breaking a lot because, uh, Betcher, to me, I think he's blitzing too much. I mean, like, in the second half of the Buccaneers game, like, when the defense was playing good, you know, he played a vanilla defense as far as, uh, 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 like, one possession where he had, this, he had the two safeties over the top. And, you know what I mean, the corners, they covered. Like, I don't know if he don't trust that, that they can't uh, cover for that long, but... I think he should give it a shot. I mean, he's blitzing because Jenkins got eight up, and he didn't really help him the second half except for the uh, safety uh, over the top on that possession that I saw. The Giants need two things to happen on defense, and, and one is Janoris Jenkins has to get out of a slump because right now that's what he's in. Uh, he's just not playing up to his capabilities, and obviously he's a big part of what they want to do because they'd like to leave him in one-on-one coverage. So that's the first thing that they, they really would like to see. Let's see if Jenkins can snap out of it. Number two, they want to see the increased pass rush, which over the last two games has begun to look better and better and better. And Marcus Golden, I said this today on WFAN, Marcus Golden is starting to look like that 2016 Marcus Golden all of a sudden. Yep. He looked really sharp in Tampa Bay with those two sacks. Right. Right, no, so he's definitely coming, but I'm just saying as far as, like, like this far, but don't you think, though, like the second half, you would have gave Jenkins help? I mean, like, you know, it, it's one thing to believe in somebody, what they can do, but it's another thing when they're not doing it. Like, you know, Jenkins, you know, he had a bad day at the office. Everybody does, right? And I, I don't think he's, like, finished or washed up or anything, but I just think, you know, like some of the <laughs> excuse me, corners, he needs to give them a little bit help and why is it Justin Love and uh uh uh, uh Julian Love they're not, they're not. well Julian Love was a healthy scratch so he was inactive he couldn't have played and then I'm sure your next question is going to be Corey Ballantyne James Betcher was asked yeah, about right. Ballantyne and said that he never discusses playing time publicly he'll let it reveal itself but I, I think what we've said on this program multiple times what you have to understand Travis is they're evaluating these young guys at practice every day if they don't see yeah. things in practice then they're not going to activate them or they're not going to give them additional playing time you can't judge based on what you saw in the preseason and a flash here or there that's not necessarily right. indicative of what they asked them to do in the regular season so they're going to go and they're going to put the best guys on the field in the regular season if guys are not playing in the regular season then that usually is an indication they're not seeing the consistency yet in practice practice and i understand that because you making that point allude to the point that you guys are just making about Haskins, and that's what i'm scared that that's what it is it's like you know in practice they're not doing it but in preseason my eyes i've seen them actually you know going into week one like like i thought we were going to see more love and 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 and, and dallas trying to get uh some some rest i mean in preseason, what you guys was 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 confident in the way they played. I mean, did they, did they show anything that maybe uh, we didn't see or I didn't see that caused for them not to get now like one rep? Well, Ballantyne was productive in the preseason. He had an interception. He showed some flashes. Remember, he also was away from the team. So he's playing a bit of catch-up. But, you know, remember, some of these decisions also, Paul, are made based on special teams usage. 
And, you know, that's another reason why they may dress only a specific corner and a specific safety, depending on who they have faith is going to contribute on special teams. So you have to take that into consideration as well, Travis. And listen, we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. As far as the defense overall is concerned, They've given up 94 points, Paul, in three games. Uh, You don't need to be a brain surgeon to realize that that side of the ball needs to improve, and they need to come out stronger in the beginning of the game because the theme is get a feel for the opposition, play better in the second half, and then regroup. Well, there's got to be that game where you get a great feel for the opposition (laughs) right out of the gates, and then you're not having to worry about regrouping in the second half. That's what what they're still looking for. What did James Betcher tell us today? If it was so easy to just take a pill to fix that, course, he, yeah. he would show it to us. Yeah, you know, uh, Jabril Peppers was just talking in the locker room before, and he said, you know, he doesn't know exactly why, but he does believe that in the second half of the past two games, the defense has gotten after it more. And when he was asked, well, what what is that about? Is it about attitude or is it about execution? I mean, what exactly are you talking about that you guys were, were, were more into it, so to speak? And he couldn't describe it. He said, you know, no, guys are hepped up at the beginning of a game. They're excited. They want to play. Everybody seems to be really raring to go. But yet somehow, some way, guys are not on point. And, you know, he himself said, especially with a young quarterback back there now on offense, they cannot afford to put him in a hole and continue to play from behind like they are. That is not a good recipe, Lance, at all. Well, I would say for any quarterback, it's not a good recipe. But if you want to take it a further degree with a young quarterback who doesn't have much experience, that's a fair point. But, I mean, you never want to put your offense in a deep hole to have to play catch-up because that's essentially what the Giants have had to do every single week thus far. Sure. And it's not going to be a recipe for victory if that is the script that they plan to follow. Let's head back to the lines here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Scott is in New Mexico. Scott, welcome aboard. What do you got? Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Hi. All right, Scott. Uh, I have a question to ask both of you. Uh, I've sort of touched on the subject. I've heard a lot of comments as the calls have come in this week about the human emotion aspect of the game and how you really can't take that out. And one of the things about Daniel Jones that's kind of interesting is I heard that his performance on Sunday hadn't been equaled uh, since the beginning of the Super Bowl era. Now, we're talking about the Super Bowl began in 65, so we're looking at over 50 years, and no quarterback had the performance that he had, technically in his second start, but basically his first real start. And that's pretty amazing when you think about it. And I had asked you guys, uh, I think on separate occasions, I think it was on Monday with you, Lance, and I talked about uh, whether it can inspire people to play better. I was specifically talking about the defense, and I think I talked to you, Paul, about whether they can beat Minnesota, et cetera, et cetera. And my question to you both is, say the game takes place on Sunday, and uh, Daniel Jones replicates his performance in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Would your personal analysis change if that if the defense starts to play better, or would you attribute it to something else, or the, the offensive line suddenly picks up and doesn't allow any sacks or whatever? Because I think inspiration is a part of football, and if you take that out, why bother playing the game? So I was just curious if either of your analysis would change after a second game if well, if the end result is that we beat Washington and that Daniel Jones has another stellar performance, I was just curious what your personal reactions would be to that. Well, if Daniel Jones has another strong performance, I don't really think it's a reflection of what's going on with the remainder of the team. I think it's him okay. being well-prepared to handle the circumstance and being able to execute with his teammates from an offensive standpoint against Washington. I, I disagree. I don't think the defense is now playing harder or more motivated because of the quarterback change. I think that they were just as motivated to go out and play hard for Eli Manning as they were as Daniel Jones, and I get oh, it. No, it's, I, I agree with you. Yeah. My, my, my point was that you had mentioned uh, or had made a- a comment that uh, he might go to Dexter Lawrence and tell him to play better, and that was not that was misconstrued. I hope uh, on your part in regards to what I was trying to bring out. I don't think, and I agree with you that the defense has to play through their merits. But throughout NFL history, there have been singular players that have inspired teams to play better, and that's really Lawrence the point Taylor. I was trying to get. And I was just curious about this game coming up because it's so crucial as if they're going to make a playoff run, they really need to beat Washington. So I was just curious from that vantage point uh, if, if 
that's an accurate statement, and can a player inspire a team to really play better? Well, I, I mean, how many guys you said in NFL history that I could point to that you have factual evidence to go Lawrence by? Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, but Lawrence, that's it. But Lawrence Taylor was a hell of a football player. Well, that's why I No, no, but, but, but he also had a lot of talent around him. So you're going to tell me that Carl Banks only played hard because Lawrence Taylor was on the field? That's what you're going to tell no, me? No, 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 no. What I'm telling you is, and I know this because Bill Parcells and I have had lengthy discussions about it. He said that Lawrence Taylor could will the team to do better because he was an inspirational player. Just by his his actions, his excitement, his enthusiasm, his big play capability, the intensity by which he Whoa. played, Bill said that Lawrence Taylor inspired him every every week when he was on the field. Well, and, 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 I, and I go look at the, the, the game against the Saints, the primetime game, the greatest game that, that Lawrence Taylor ever played because he was scotch-taped together, and they, they stapled him and scotch-taped him and paper-clipped him, and he destroyed them with one hand. That, that was inspiration. So, Scott, I got to disagree with you 100% because okay. Daniel Jones is nowhere near Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor is the only player I've ever seen who I would put in the category that you're oh, no, trying no, to put I, Daniel Jones in. I'm not even doing that. I'm not putting uh, yeah, Lawrence I don't think Taylor in the stage with Daniel Jones. I was just talking about singular players well, being able to inspire their team. That's, single, that was my basic singular point. player who inspired his team. Lawrence Taylor, the buck stops there. there I've right. never seen another player do that. Yeah, and okay. I think that, once again, and appreciate the phone call, Scott. Thanks again, guys. As far okay. as this storyline, and you know, I, I know it was brought up on Monday's show, I believe. Uh, I don't know if you have received phone calls on Tuesday's show about it, but this idea that by making the change at quarterback, now the defense has more of a reason to play harder. Which no, I, no. The only thing no, I'm no, saying is, that is that's it, been brought up. That's it's an absurd. Times. Of course, it's thought. absurd. Yeah. Now, again, Jabril Peppers admitted in the locker room. You know, you can't put a rookie quarterback in a position to have to come from behind all the time. It's an awareness of the struggles that a young QB will have in a comeback mode. As you said, any quarterback is going to have in a comeback mode. It's simply an awareness, in my opinion, Preppers' comment isn't directed to something that Scott's thinking of. It's more directed at, hey, the defense needs to do its share. Yeah. That's what it is. Well, and that's also common sense X's and O's, game flow. I mean, you never want to put your offense in an early hole uh, in a game, no matter what time of the season it is and so forth. It's just, once again, this defense had opportunities to make plays in the first two weeks of the season and didn't come through. And there's a lot of young guys on the field who are going through growing pains, and those growing pains are going to continue whether it's Eli Manning under center or whether it's Daniel Jones under center. That doesn't change no, no matter what's going on on the offensive not. side of the ball, and I, I think we've got to separate those two. Uh, that doesn't mean that the team you know, doesn't see the message that a new quarterback's in, and you know, if somebody could lose their job, Look. then changes can occur across the board. I think that's a fair assessment. Let's make this simple. They started off a very disappointing 0-2 and did not look good getting there. Every single one of these players has a reason to look in the mirror and do better. Yeah, absolutely. They don't need to be saying, oh, let's see, who's the starting quarterback today? We have to do better for yeah. him. That's absurd. They have enough of reasons of course. to try to get out of this hole. No job also is guaranteed in the National Football League. So if you continue to struggle, who's to say that you're going to remain with the Giants for the remainder of the season? That, anyway. to me, is motivation enough. Let's head back to the phone lines. And a reminder before we do that, that Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Denny is in Cortland, New York. Denny, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Hey, guys. How you doing today? Hi. You're right. Okay, so listen, I have sort of semi-interesting perspective on the game. I was away Sunday. I live in uh, central New York. I was in North Carolina for a wedding. I tried my best not to see anything related to football or the game so I could come home Monday night and watch it. <laughs> okay. Un un unfortunately, my cousin, who I expected to ruin for me, is a freaking Cowboys fan, did. Uh, Daniel Jones won the game for us. Okay, great. <laughs> so the next, the next morning, I'm out for breakfast. And I see on CNN, Daniel Jones leads the comeback. And the whole thing, I said, okay, all right. I tried not to watch too much. So I get home, I watch the game, I'm going through it. I see the comeback drive where he leads the team down the field. And this relates exactly to what Scott called in about Monday. I see them lead the team down the field. Now, never once did I see anything about a missed, extra, a missed uh, 
field goal at the end. Right. So I'm thinking, all right, great. Daniel Jones is great. But the real story here is the defense made a stop when we needed it. So I watched that drive. Two plays, they're down the field on the 12-yard line or whatever the heck they were. And I'm like, are they going to shank a 30-yard field goal? And, of course, that's what happened. So my point related to, oh, if they play better for the, the new quarterback is if there was ever a time you were going to kick somebody's butt and shut something down for being excited was after Daniel Jones ran that's, that. That's a good point. That's yeah. right up the middle. Mm-hmm. And we didn't stop anybody after that. Yeah, so Seamus Winston we marched down the field. Yeah, I, I'll tell you what. Thank goodness for the Giants that Michael Thomas made a one-on-one solo tackle Absolutely. on the previous drive to force the Buccaneers to punt the football, and that allowed Daniel Jones the chance to execute exactly. a game-winning drive. Yeah. Well, I would also Absolutely. add and thank Bruce Arians for taking a delay of game penalty too, because I think yeah, that was, exactly. was a big contributor. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. So my quick question related to that is, and again, I'm not saying the defense didn't play better. You could see that throughout the game. But isn't a little bit of that a team is ahead by 18 points, so they're really just trying to keep their lead? I mean, that happens to us all the time when we have a lead. We get a lead, and then we kind of go into conservative mode, and we don't score any more points. So I'd like to say the defense shut them down, but it sort of seemed like Tampa Bay was kind of willing to hang on to their lead a little bit as well. Well, you know, uh, here's the thing that surprised me, and I I just said this on the fan earlier, and I don't want to get too deep into it because it'll take forever, but on the game-winning drive, you know, Todd Bowles is supposed to be a very aggressive defensive coordinator who sends the kitchen sink at people. And and, and what happened on the game-winning drive? He did not send a single solitary blitz at Daniel Jones on the game-winning drive. That's true. Now, I have to be perfectly frank with you. If I were the defensive coordinator, I would have tried to mess up that quarterback. Either yeah, with I pre- they would. Right? Either with a pre-snap yeah. disguise yeah. or just send a kitchen sink and go for a zero blitz. Because in that spot, you want to rattle the kid. You figure it's his first ever start. The pressure is on. He's trying to win the game with one final possession. I'm going to go after that guy. I'm going to force the issue for some reason. Todd Bowles only went with a four-man rush on that entire drive, did not blitz at all, and then to compound the error, he made the cardinal sin of all time. The Giants have a fourth and five at the seven, and not only does he send four, even though the four-man rush did not get home once on the final drive, because, by the way, besides Nate Solder, who had a tough day against uh, Shaquille Barry, okay, the rest of the offensive line played extremely well in pass protection. So not only did he not get a rush, he's playing man defense, and he's got his single high free safety going over to double Evan Ingram. That meant there was a gaping hole the size of the Grand Canyon up the middle. Let me tell you something. Dexter Lawrence could have crawled through that hole. (laughs) That's how big that hole was. I thought that, in my opinion, Todd Bowles made some horrific mistakes in terms of his scheme on the final game-winning drive. And, you know, look, I'm old enough. I don't know how old you are. I'm old enough to remember John Elway calling quarterback draws out of shotguns because teams uh-huh. couldn't get the pass rush. They're playing man, and all of a sudden, he waltzes into the end zone. He must have done that two dozen times during his career. I've seen it time and time again. The last defense you want to call is the one that Todd Bowles called on fourth and five from the seven. So, you know... But here's the only thing I said about on the, on the station today. Maybe, maybe Daniel Jones showed him so much in the first three and a half quarters that he was scared of him. It's possible. Maybe, yeah. he, maybe yeah. Daniel Jones earned so much respect from Todd Bowles that he decided, you know what? I'm not going to blitz the kid because I can't rattle him. Maybe. And I, I'm, again, I'm really fighting myself on this. Is it because Todd Bowles was asleep at the switch or because Daniel Jones just blew him away and he didn't know how to deal with him? I'm not sure. Well, they were clearly concerned about Evan Ingram, but remember, Daniel Jones targeted Evan Ingram twice on the previous two plays and they forced incompletions. They did. So I was kind of surprised, as you just laid out, that he then would force the double team in that area and not be concerned about some aspect of Daniel Jones running or at least the middle of the field. That was, I think, a little bit surprising under the circumstances of the previous plays. Yeah. 
All right, Denny, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much great, for weighing great, in. Guys. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You got it. All right, let's head back to the lines. We've got Lewis in Syracuse. Lewis, what do you have for us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live? Hey, guys, appreciate you taking my phone call. Sure. I love the show. Thanks for making it. Um, going to my first game this weekend. I'm extremely excited. Have All a right. good time. Big Dexy, Dexter Lawrence, and Wayne Gallman, who, uh, although I would have loved to see Saquon, uh, Wayne Gallman runs with a, a, a great mix of power and elusiveness. I got to see him a lot at Clemson, so I'm excited to watch him play. Good player. He's got some skills, and, and I know he is chomping at the bit for this opportunity. Uh, it's been three years now that Wayne Gallman has been with the Giants, and for one reason or another, you know, he's never really gotten the ability to say, it's my ball. Well, he's got it Sunday. Yeah, because he split time before Saquon Barkley came along. Then Barkley comes along. So, yeah, this is now a great opportunity for him to prove that he could carry the load and, you know, not give a reason to the Giants to go out and get another back to perhaps create some type of a sharing situation. So, yeah, he seems very hungry. And I found it very interesting, Paul, when he was in the locker room yesterday and the reporters were peppering him with question after question. Goldman's not a talker. Goldman, basically, his philosophy is just give me the football and then I'll quiet the skeptics. He's a worker. Yeah, he's a show-me guy. He's not, I'm going to lay out everything that I plan on showing you. So I, I think he's got that quiet determination to him. Yeah, absolutely. Very excited to see him play. Um, one quick question, then I'll take my uh, answer off the air. Sure. Um, in regards to Janoris Jenkins, do you think, uh, him having to step up as a leader and kind of mentor the younger guy has affected his quality of play and kind of vice versa. Do you think that his quality of play affects what the younger guys may like see his mentorship and leadership? Thank All you right. for uh, taking we'll the call. let you go on that okay. note, Lewis. Appreciate the phone call. I mean, I don't think his production has dipped because he's got to worry about mentoring the guys throughout preseason and training camp. I mean, he was constantly on the sidelines talking those guys up. But, I mean, there are plenty of guys that do that on the offensive side of the ball. Plus, I mean, Eli had been mentoring Daniel Jones all this time. So mm -hmm. I don't think that's anything different than some of these other veteran players, Paul, have been put in a position to do. Yeah, I would agree with you, Lance. Uh, getting back to Goldman, just... For those of you who may not have really understood what he brought to the table when he came out of Clemson, his last two years he ran for 1,500 yards and 1,100 yards, 13 touchdowns, and then 17 touchdowns. This was a guy who was extremely productive at a very high-level program. You know, when the Giants got him, they, they firmly believed that he could be a productive, if not rotational, maybe even better than that, as a running back. So, you know, the one problem that he has had on occasion is some slippery fingers. Yeah, three fumbles in 2017, his rookie year. Yeah. He lost one. He didn't lose all three, but he uh, lost control of the football. So, yeah, but I he, think that's the biggest He runs harder concern. than what you would think because he's got a real good um, balance. He's got good balance. Uh, he runs with a lot of might. And even though he doesn't look stocky, he doesn't look very powerful, he runs with more might than he shows. And uh, I, I know that, you know, they're very hopeful that, you know, he can, he can do what he needs to do. Well, remember, I bring this game up all the time. I'll bring it up again because I think it's relevant to the conversation. Last year at Philadelphia, the game where the Giants blew that massive lead, Paul. Remember Barkley? Yeah, I remember the game. Series Thank or two. you. Well, Appreciate I, it. I'm just <laughs> providing the facts. And the whole controversy in that game was the amount of touches that Barkley got. Why wasn't he in the game? And if you go back. The two series that Goldman was in there, Goldman actually ran the ball effectively. And I'm not talking about he had a one-yard run. We're talking about nice chunkage on the ground. And sure. then, unfortunately, the Giants gave up a sack and had penalties, and that backed them up. So that just goes to show you they were more than confident in giving Saquon Barkley breathers last season, putting Goldman in, and feeling as if the running game could still be productive. And remember, that was also behind the old offensive line from last year. So when you look at that and you look at the decision-making that the coaching staff has made, you know, they believe that Goldman can be thrown into a situation where he can handle a bulk of the carries and be productive. But it's a matter of him now taking advantage of this opportunity. Let's head back to the phone lines. Antonio is in Manhattan. What's happening, Antonio? Hey, what's going on? How are you guys doing today? Hi. Doing right. What do you got for so, us? I just want to talk about little uh, two things. First, I want to talk about General Jenkins. I am sick and tired of the fans getting on Janoris Jenkins and saying that he's, you know, he's washed up or his ability has diminished. Guys, I, I advise every single Giants fan to get NFL Game Pass and look at the coach's film. 
he's not getting help over the top. You're asking Jenkins to cover top five wide receiver Mike Evans, who's been doing nothing the whole season, and now you're asking him to go one-on-one. Jenkins is, I would say right now, Jenkins is a top 20 corner in the league. And asking him to make every single play is one thing, but then expecting him to cover Mike Evans on the slot, just by himself, I think it's ridiculous. And I think it's more better fixed it at the second half. He called a lot more different type of plays. He called cover three, called cover two. He switched it up so much, and it also not only helped um, Jenkins, but it also confused more uh, Winston. And I think that's what happened in the second half. It wasn't that he played better. It was better made better calls. That's what I think happened in the second half. What did you guys think about that? Look, Janoris Jenkins, I think during the time of the, of his career in the NFL, he has been, uh, I think, to be honest with you, probably a top 10, top 12 cover corner. Yes. Okay? He is an upper echelon cover corner. He's not a Pro Bowl player, but he's, yes. he's a notch below. Okay? But he's not there no more. Now, now, there's no doubt. He is in a slump right now. He would be the first one to tell you that if he was sitting here at the table. There are plays he'd like to have back this year. Yes. So so the question becomes, when you've been in the league as long as Janoris has, has been, remember, he had a, a full contract with the Rams before the Giants brought him in. So he's not he's not a spring chicken. The question always becomes, as a guy enters this stage of his NFL career, when he has a slump, is it just a slump? Is it something he can work out of and get back to the level that we're accustomed to watching? Or is this the start of a slide? It's always going to be a question that's asked of a veteran in this situation. So it's a fair question to ask, but to be truthful with you, I don't think three games is enough for us to tell because there have been so many other issues with the Giants' defense to identify exactly what's going on with Jenkins. Hopefully, for their sake, the defense will improve and Jenkins' play will improve with it. I'm not, I, I, I agree with you in regards to don't finger point at Jenkins because it's, it's really, there's not enough clear and obvious evidence in to say what's going on with him right now. I mean, from, just from, from what I'm seeing from tape, I just think that Betcher is putting eight men in the box with that safety down. That's his defense. But I just want to see him just trust. Seven men on the box, has the two safeties deep for the most part, and see what happens then, not to wait to the second half to do that. And you know, I think the, that that's the problem. Yeah, but the Jenkins of, of some years past, and he's put a lot of tape uh, you know, on the table here that says he can take a guy one-on-one. He can, yeah. So you, course, can't blame, yeah. you can't blame Betcher for saying, okay, you know, Jackrabbit, I know you got this guy. I know you've been doing it for years. Go ahead. You know, in some regards, you're seeing it in the opposite here because, you know, you're complaining that Jack Rabbit's getting him one-on-one, but the truth is, if you talk to Jack Rabbit, he would tell you, I can handle that. That's my guy. Give me one-on-one. And and so, you know, you can't yeah, have it both ways. Situations, like when the top receiver goes into the slot, right away you got to know, hey, listen, if Evans goes into the slot, that's no longer there's no longer a good matchup for you there. You have to understand certain things like that. That's what I thought about that. And I just want to say one quick point about Daniel Jones. I was a not I was not a fan, and I'm still for the most part on the fence when it comes to Daniel Jones and picking Daniel Jones. And the one thing that fans are saying about Daniel Jones is that he doesn't have awareness in the pocket. My thing is that's great, honestly, because. What's the problem with most rookie quarterbacks when they come into the league? They look too, they're too worried about who's coming at them. This guy's eyes is down the field. You could teach with more, with more games, he'll get the experience of feeling presence in the pocket and feeling that pressure mm-hmm. and be yeah. able to slide a corner. You're right. You're right. Well, yeah. I think he's already got a feel for that, too, based on what he, he did he in Tampa. Does. Yeah. He does. He gets to does for some extent. Sometimes he won't feel it, and that's why he got hit. And sometimes he'll fumble. He'll take care of the ball by holding it two hands. Those things will come with experience. My thing is, as a person who didn't like him, I love the fact that he keeps his eye down the field, and I love how accurate is his ball. And the one thing that I saw right away that I was like, wow, we got ourselves something here, is 
he got pressured right in the middle of the pocket at one play, and he backpedaled, and he threw off his back foot a dime. I forgot to who it was, but it was. I was like, man, this is what the offense has been missing for a long time. So I'm excited about that. And, again, I'm not going to point him as the savior right now of the New York Giants, but I'm very – I feel feel good about that one game. I just want to see a bigger sample size, you know, and that, that's all. Guys, you have to have a great one. Okay. All right, Antonio. Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, and it is one game, and you do want to see more so that you can feel as if it's not a flash and that it's consistency. But so far, it's trending in a very good direction based on the early results. Quickly, the one item about Daniel Jones that you'd really like to see him clean up at this point is holding on to the ball too long. But I'd rather that than just chucking it up and getting picked off. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Now, a, a football coach who is now retired... All right, a guy who was in the game for 40 years. I was on the phone with him the other day, and, and we were talking about Daniel Jones. And he said, you know, Daniel Jones reminded me during the preseason and during this game a little bit of Kurt Warner in that he is looking downfield. He's always looking to make sure that he's got his eye down there because he'd like to make the play. And Warner did that all the time when he was with the Rams and with the Giants too and the Cardinals. That, that's what Kurt Warner did. He was always looking downfield vertically to see if he can get that playoff. And holding the ball and being brave. And sometimes, to be honest, it got Warner in trouble with the Giants. That's what got him benched, is that he took 37 sacks in that half a season. And he also was fumbling the ball because he was getting crunched in the pocket on those sacks. And it was a sack slashed forced fumble. And Tom Coughlin wasn't going to have any more of it. And that's why he made the change for Eli. Um, So he just, the guy, the coach said to me, I'm seeing some of that right now in Daniel at the very, 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 very early stages of his career is that he's erroring on the side of holding the ball too long, looking downfield, looking to make the play. He's like, don't worry about it. Over time, that clock will mature and he will understand it and he will recognize it. And instinctively, he'll get the timing down. It's okay right now. Yeah. But if after... A couple of years, he still hasn't figured that out. Now you got a bit of a problem because, you know, once a quarterback gets a rep for holding the ball too long, well, defenses start to salivate over that because they know, oh, we can get to him, we can smoke him, and we can get that ball free. So that, that if you really want to pinpoint one thing right now, that Daniel Jones, you know, he's, 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 he's not checking a box as well as you'd like, that would be the one. Well, sack five times in terms of the Bucks game. So, you know, part of it was, I think, him holding the football too long. Also, remember, this is something that is always overlooked in the conversation. The mobile quarterbacks in the NFL get sacked more than actually the ones who don't really roam out of the pocket mm-hmm. because they give defenses an opportunity based on them deciding to run out of the pocket and therefore the protection breaks down to get after you. Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott were sacked more than any other quarterback mm-hmm. last season. So, you know, that's the other thing that you have to walk a fine line with. Do you hold on to the football? And then if you start running, you expose yourself to injury, and also you're exposing yourself to more sacks. Now, of the five sacks that the Giants were charged with in Tampa Bay, I charged one of them on my unofficial tape review to Jones for holding the ball too long. And it was on the Nassib sack, which was a third down zone blitz, four-man rush. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the only one where I actually attributed that sack to Jones, where... He should have done something with it. But, again, throughout the course of the game, you know, there were times where, uh, you know, he's got he's to yeah. get that clock. But it'll all come in time. Well, those are things that could be learned and corrected. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's why it's Without not necessarily question. a panic button type of moment. All right, let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Coach Marvin's in Delaware. What's happening, Coach? Hey, Don Paul and Lance. Hey, Coach. You're right. What do you got for us? Uh, Real quick, I know it's about over. Um, I want to comment on what Paul said about uh, Todd Bowles. I, I had the feeling that Todd Bowles uh, got out of the defense he was uh, running as far as blitzing because they did get a little nervous at what Jones was doing. I don't know what his stats were, but he did pretty well against pressure. So uh, maybe they didn't want to give up the big play based on them not completely getting to him and allowing him to make a big play and them scoring quicker than they wanted them to. And yeah, Co- think- it's, it's it's one or the other. Either Bowles, you know, mistakenly pulled back or was, do I dare use the word, intimidated 
by Daniel Jones and his ability through the first three and a half quarters. And if that's the case, and I mentioned it on the radio today, I said, you know, you want to talk about something that was really impressive about Daniel Jones, peel back the layers of the onion. If he had that kind of impact on Todd Bowles, that he actually, I don't want, again, is intimidated the right word, but that that he pushed Todd Bowles into doing something that he didn't want to do, that says a lot about Daniel Jones. Yeah, it does. I think it was more he pushed him. I'm not going to say he scared. I shouldn't say scared. Yeah, I don't know what the right word is, to be honest with you. Oh, there, made coach. him to rethink and, his game and, plan. I prompted think him. He prompted no, him yeah. to get out of his game. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you're looking at the, the, the New York Giants playing you, and maybe they got lost at who was quarterbacking, that they went man-to-man down in the red zone and just got lost in the team, that the player that was playing quarterback that, I'm still thinking they probably thought, you know, these are the Giants. Quarterbacks don't run. 16 years. <laughs> so how many times you put that up on your board when you're playing the Giants? So they might have lost track that he runs the ball. Not that they didn't think he could, couldn't run, but maybe they lost track of that given the play call. That, you know, you know oh, what, though, Coach? Here's the other part to that equation that made it really good for the Giants is that the offensive line held up on that entire game-winning drive. Yes. And yeah, that was did. a good sign. Yeah, they did a good job. Um, real quick, uh, I think I don't want to go back to this for one more time. Uh, the last One of the callers was talking about the emotions and the mental part of the game. And, Paul, you were talking about Lawrence Taylor, how mentally he, he had guys uh, play a little tougher. It's hard to say if it's harder or not harder, but there's a little more juice to it. And, and – and for me, I'm not saying I'm right, and I'm not saying anybody else that don't agree with me is um, wrong. I'm just uh, saying that we, we have to respect each other's opinion based on that. If they just disagree, so be it. But don't downplay it. But I believe in those emotions with uh, players. Um, maybe it wasn't Daniel Jones. Maybe it was. But the offense, I think, did help inspire the defense to play better at certain points of that game. The plays they came down to with third and three and Michael Thomas making the big play of the game, those things are inspired by something someone else is doing. It's almost like, the um, uh, I don't know if Lance remember, but I know you do, Paul, the Utley issue with the um, mm-hmm. Detroit Lions. Mike Utley, that, sure. That carried them into the playoffs that year, if you remember. Well, there um, are instances, Coach, I agree with you, there are instances that can have an impact on a team's emotions, which then can carry over into uh, on-the-field play. I'm not disagreeing right. that there are instances that can do that, and I'm not disagreeing. I think there are certain guys who can, but as far as my experience with the Giants, it stops at Lawrence Taylor because there is a very elite, small, special group of guys who were just at the top of Mount Rushmore who could consistently – inspire their teammates you know throughout the course of the season and you know to say that after Daniel Jones had one game in Tampa Bay I I, I'm sorry but that concept to me is just totally lost and also the play that Michael Thomas made it was a heads-up play by a smart player who's a veteran player I mean Michael Thomas could have made that play where they were down by 25 points they were up by 31 it it doesn't matter he made a great play period I, I understand that, guys. I understand that. But that doesn't downplay that it couldn't inspire you. I mean, yeah, but, but, but Coach, to... Coach, at the end of the day, this is a hypothetical yeah. scenario that we're all trying to get deep down. The bottom line is they went out and won a game. Whether they were inspired oh, okay. by this guy, they were inspired by that guy, they won the game. And and what? now they got to try to build off of that. I mean, all okay. of these hypothetical, I, I, physical, coach, mental coach, things to me don't really I, mean much of it. Here's what I want to do, Coach Marvin, because, you know, we, we love when you call. Here's what I want to do. Go go back and look at what what the, the great uh, Emmett Smith did in the season finale, 1993, against the Giants when he was scotch-taped together. And just absolutely bowled over the Giants. There, that's a that's a performance that that counts. Kellen Winslow of the Chargers in the playoff game against the Dolphins. Those are the kinds of of players and games 
that fits into the category. What Daniel Jones did the other day does not fit into that category. Well, I mean, but also Phillip Rivers played a playoff game against the Patriots with a partially torn ACL, and the Chargers didn't even win that game. So my point is, yeah, there could be inspirational performances, but you respect yeah. what the guy does. Everybody still has to go out and do their job. You, you I, don't I make plays based on, you know, fairy tales. That's all. I, I understand. I understand that, what you're saying, and I agree with you on that. But that's not to say in instances that this can't happen. The Brett Barb situation with his dad, the team actually yeah. came out and said they played harder than they ever played in their lives. Well, I'm sure, well, because emotions, emotions were running high under those circumstances. And we'll let you go on that note, Coach Marvin. Appreciate the phone call because obviously Brett Favre lost a family member, but he was personally inspired to go out and play hard. And then I'm sure a number of people on his team were touched by his story. But, you know, let's not forget the individual performance by Brett Favre is also a big reason why they went out and won that game. It's not exactly everybody else doing what they did. It's him having the power to go out there under the circumstances surrounding him personally. So, you know, listen, you don't get brownie points when you win games if... Two defensive players say they were blown away by what the young quarterback did. You don't get brownie points for that. So at the end of the day, to me, it's meaningless. It's irrelevant. I understand it's fun to have conversations, but it's all hypothetical. You're never going to kind of prove that the reason why the Giants won the game is because Daniel Jones gave a lift to the offense. You just There's nothing factual that you can point to. Let's head back to the phone lines. Haas is in New Jersey. Haas, what's happening? Hey, Silas, how you doing? You're right. Uh, what do you got for us? In a while. I just want to talk about number one, uh, Lance, which you was just touching on, which Coach was just touching on. Uh, I've played football for about 20 years, okay, and I play semi-pro. Uh, there's a thing, uh, and you, you can't explain it, but there's a certain type of momentum change when you get a certain type of player that brings a certain type of dynamic that you haven't seen before. It gives you an inspiration, and I'm not going to say it gives the it, it it carries all over, but it gives you an inspiration as a player to see your quarterback, your young quarterback, making plays. I played defense, I played corner. When we had a quarterback who comes out and we're down, and we have a quarterback that wants to come out and make plays, whether he's a rookie or veteran, it gives you some type of spark to say, you know what, maybe we can do this. Let's go, team. So that's. That's what I think they're talking about. It's not necessarily him just willing the team himself, but giving them that inspiration, that spark to say, you know what, we are capable of playing with any and everybody if we give ourselves a chance. And our young quarterback proved that. And I just want to get on. Daniel Jones has been doing this since college. Nobody knew about him, and that's because nobody watched Duke football. Now, I'm going to say this. I don't watch much college football, but what I do watch is when I listen to the analysts and what they say about certain college players, and then I go back and I watch games. And I watch Daniel Jones in his games and how his pocket presence was evident. And every game that he played, he had pocket presence. He had accuracy. He had mobility. And he was running the offense and a pro-style offense playing against teams that were running pro-style defenses. So it shouldn't surprise none of the fans and none of the analyst that Daniel Jones is the real deal. Of course he's going to have his roles, but if you go back and you watch his games, you understand exactly what he's been dealing with. This is nothing new to him. So, yes, he's scared Todd Bowles. And you know why he scared him? Because Todd Bowles didn't know. He didn't do his homework, and he didn't know that Daniel Jones was accurate, and he didn't know how fast he was, and he didn't know how cerebral he is. He is a cerebral quarterback that is young. That's all I have to say for and I'll take your answers off the air. I appreciate it. Thank you. Art House, appreciate thank, the phone thank call. Thank you, Coach Cutcliffe. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that. I'm having fun with you because all the positive things you said about Daniel Jones are things that all of us who have studied him uh, know. So you're not shocking any of us. But I will just add this one other thing, okay? Yes, again, there are events in a game that can inspire teams. That's true. It does happen. There are an elite group of players over the course of time who have done that for their teams. But in general, what you're talking about right there are just leaders. 
Yeah. Okay? Michael Strahan was a leader. Justin Tuck was a leader. Jesse Armstead was a leader. Antonio Pierce was a leader. Being a leader and revving up a team or helping them get over the hump is not the same as inspiring a team. There is a difference. Okay? There is a difference. And and what I think we're confusing here are the guys who inspire somebody with their performance and guys who simply lead. I, I To me, it's, it's definitely apples and oranges. It is not the same thing. Well, if you go watch Giant Sights and Sounds, which is up on Giants.com, Sterling Shepard is shown on the sideline when the defense is out on the field. Screaming his head off. Yeah, so, I mean... Did that have an impact on the rest of the team? The defense was on the field when Sterling Shepard was doing that. How the hell would they know what he was saying to the offense? So, you know, once again, I I think it's just people, you know, they're excited about the win and that's fine, but you could just leave it as it was a great win, period. We we don't need to add more to the legend of the victory. (laughs) And I feel as if there's the need to add more legend to the victory. So I think that Evan Ingram's quick touchdown all of a sudden gave the team an inkling, hey, you know what? There's a lot of time left, Paul. We could perhaps pull off a comeback, and then they get another touchdown, and I think the team is always saying, okay, there's a lot of time left, but that's the nature of football. I don't think that that's something that was just unique for the Giants. If you make plays in the blink of an eye and you're back within a touchdown or two, I think the entire team sure. is saying to themselves, hey, we got a realistic shot to actually pull off the comeback. You, you, you know, if you really want to say who provided the spark in that game, it was Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is the guy who went 75 yards and got a block from Darius Slayton at the 45 on Hargraves to go to the end zone. You know, they did more to make that play than anybody did. Well, because that was what the doctor ordered. You didn't take any time off the clock and you scored right out of the gates to start the third quarter. And by the way, Ingram comes over to the sideline and he was like the incredible Hulk. He was so intense screaming, let's go, let's go. And he's, he's jumping up on the bench, yeah. and he was he was absolutely foaming at the mouth. So are we going to say now he inspired? No. There are leaders, and then there are guys who inspire. LT inspired. The other guys can be leaders. Big difference. All right, that's going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience. Courtesy of Coors Light, text VIP to 90464 for more details. Giants-Redskins Sunday, Big Blue Kickoff Live, up and running again tomorrow at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.